0: Good afternoon. You are listening to the Ears on Art segment of Issues and Ideas. I am Stephen DeLuke, and today, co-host Chrissa Hewitt and I visit with glass artist Paula Radke. Here we go.
1: Stephen and I are here in Morrill Bay with Paula Radke. Good afternoon. Hello. Hello there. You are primarily an artist working with glass? That's right. Any other materials particularly? I've
2: started to branch out a little, do some multimedia pieces, I've started working with a little copper electroforming and
1: starting to look at other other materials to combine. To combine, yes. mostly. Right. Yes. So how did you start in glass?
2: Well, I actually married a glass blower who introduced me to glass and I am quite grateful for that.
1: That would probably do it. It would either be love it or yes. no, I don't want any part of that. <laughs> I wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. So how long ago was that? That was about 35 years ago, maybe 40. Impressive. And where were you?
2: Started in Santa Barbara and then shortly after moved up to Cambria.
1: Stayed on the coast, yes. so to speak. Yes. Right. <laughs> As a kid, were you exploring, creating things? Absolutely, I think the the passion was always there.
2: I used to go through my mom 's jewelry box and examine every piece of jewelry she had, and uh, that really started it for me just seeing seeing it would always
1: think about how how did they make that, even as a young kid. I was going to ask what some of the fascination was just just how did they do that were you able to find any answers outside of just looking and wondering? At that age?
2: Not so much at that age, but I was fortunate to have art in school. Very, very wonderful programs in school. We did jewelry casting. We did ceramics. We did printmaking. Just amazing.
1: Okay, so where were you in school? We're all going. (laughs) Yeah, when was that? First, it was a
2: long time ago, but it was Eau Claire, Wisconsin. My art teacher, must have been seventh grade, changed my life. And I wish I could go back and thank him, but <laughs> I can't.
0: Yeah, I grew up in Lompok and they had fabulous art instructions in the public schools. It was amazing, and I'm sad that that has not continued, because it had a huge impact on my life.
2: Absolutely, and not everybody is made to be a mechanic or an engineer. I couldn't have survived that kind of life, but...
1: Or a researcher, or a heavy-duty reader. That's (laughs) what was always going to get me.
2: Yeah, I don't know why art was sort of neglected as an opportunity, because it's been good for me.
1: Fortunately, my elementary school, there was certainly the painting and that type of thing. There were music programs in the elementary school. and junior high school, I was involved with orchestra, interestingly enough. Also, interestingly, there was a woman who taught jewelry design that I had no real awareness of. I just knew that she was there, and she wrote a book, which I now have, but I never got to know her. But it was that close.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was lucky that in especially elementary school and junior high school, I had some fabulous instructors. Really motivated you and things, and I think that that was a foundation for my love of art.
1: And in terms of glass, do you remember or have a sense of what captivated you about it as a material?
2: Oh, absolutely. I remember being in school, and they, when the teachers were needed a break, they'd put a film on. <laughs> they would put films of foundries, and I get got to see metal, red-hot liquid metal. I'm going, no way. <laughs> and the same with glass. To shape it, it has to be hot and liquid, and I just love that
1: science of it,
2: the process of it. Fascinating.
1: In your work, mostly you are slumping and fusing, meaning that that heat is happening behind a closed door for the most part, but it's still there for you.
2: Yes, I also uh, shape glass in a torch, so I get to actually see it and manipulate the hot glass in the flame.
1: Talk about that kind of work with the torch. Well,
2: that's how I make all my beads, I cut strips of glass. I heat the glass in the torch and heat the rod. When they're both red hot, they'll stick together. And then you just use gravity and the heat to shape your bead or some hand tools. Um, Then you have to cool it slowly. You have to anneal the glass and avoid thermal shock as it's being (laughs) cooled. All these things you learn along the way. Um, And that's pretty much it.
1: Yes, there is this thing about understanding the nature of your material. (laughs) So about how long is, what's the cooling process? What do you have to do?
2: You have to cool it very slowly, and a degree a minute is ideal. Um, Mainly it's holding it at the annealing temperature, which is about 900 Mm. for a period of time, so all the molecules can slow down and get in the right
1: places before it gets solid. So it's in a kill at that point? Yes, not having to sit there and hold it and wait and go, are you cool yet? <laughs> I have. You can, you can anneal
2: in the flame, but you know it's not practical.
1: Even though glass can look as though it's solid and not moving, that it always is. And I can remember at a summer workshop, they were experimenting with some different things. Somebody did blow something and set it down, knowing that they weren't trying to keep it. And I think it took less than five minutes for the thing to just go. Yeah. It can go a year later. You know, it can take its time. Crystal pitchers, it can be many years, and yeah. all of a sudden one day it goes ping! You go, oh.
0: Love that sound. Oh, it's
1: unmistakable. <laughs> you know what that sound is. It's not my favorite at all. The term annealing, for me, I got introduced to it in terms of metal, and it's a reverse process. There it's heating it up to take the stress out, and with glass it's cooling mm. it down. Somebody came up with... The slogan of, a at the altar of creativity. Ah, okay. <laughs> so, so you're making beads, but you also are working considerably larger than that.
2: I made a very nice living making beads, um, but trends change. I had a pretty good run about 30 years with my bead line. <laughs> I'd say that's pretty good. And the trends changed from pretty colorful glass to more... Gears and cogs and found objects, and it doesn 't fit my uh <laughs> my life here, so uh, I decided to move on to to bigger fused pieces and, and wall pieces, and just try something different.
0: yeah, you know, the jewelry became more mechanical, mechanical looking exactly. yeah
1: and what have you found in working larger that 's been a plus or a minus Oh a whole new set of challenges
2: <laughs> you anneal a large piece very differently from a small piece. I am still learning after nearly 40 years of making glass. Still learning. And you learn by making mistakes.
1: (laughs) Well, and different materials are definitely more temperamental Mm -hmm. than others. We're talking to the painter here. (laughs) (laughs) And
0: painting's not very temperamental at all. I paint in acrylic, and you wait half an hour, and you paint over. (laughs) However, solid materials are not quite as easy to fix.
2: Glass has another factor to it where it has to be compatible and that means it has to cool at the same rate. If you're mixing a red with a blue you better make sure they're going to cool at the same rate. If the red cools faster it's not going to stay together so you have to really be aware of your compatibility and and who made that glass. So it's another fun factor. I've found also that different colors will even heat up at different rates so you're firing black; it's going to go faster than white. So you have to take all that into consideration.
1: Where do you think the, for lack of a better term, I'll call it the patience comes from to stay with that?
2: Hmm. I honestly love the surprises. You know, opening the kiln in the morning is like Christmas. Sometimes I'm surprised. Often I'm surprised. <laughs> And then try to reproduce that. Oh, what did I do to do that? What was the right factor today that uh, makes this work? So I don't, just the surprise and the variety of techniques with glass still boggles my mind. Almost 40 years and I haven't tried everything yet.
1: That surprise factor is something that I found in clay I didn't like at all. <laughs> You know, It's like, okay, I put it in the kiln, I've trust, entrusted it to you, and now you go and crack it or melt it or <laughs> yeah. let the glaze run yes. too far or whatever it is. But I routinely hear from people who work with clay that same statement. I love opening the kiln.
2: Another aspect of glass I do love is if I have a disappointment when I open that kiln, I can usually use that material and alter it again which sometimes gives you amazing results.
1: I rarely have to throw something away. It just changes. And in duplicating, it's more often trying to get a similar color versus trying to make 20 things that look exactly alike. exactly,
2: yes, just to be able to reproduce the technique that you're trying and with somewhat uh, knowing the results.
0: If you have just tuned in, you are listening to the Ears on Art segment of Issues and Ideas, produced here at KCBX Public Radio. I am Stephen DeLuke, and co-host Krissa Hewitt and I are having a conversation with glass artist Paula Radke.
1: You told me the other day, or you let me know, that you have been working with feathers as a motif. How did that happen? I have developed
2: a product called glass clay. What is glass clay? Are you familiar with the metal clays of the world? Yes.
1: Okay. They're a relatively recent phenomenon, and it's making a whole new world for people, and it's basically a medium that has metal powder in it, and when fired to a certain temperature, that kind of gets burnt out, and you're left with the silver or the bronze or whatever it was you were casting with. You're doing the same type of change with glass. Yes. I've always wanted to
2: touch glass to shape it with my hands, It's pretty hot, you can't do that generally. So with this technique, you literally can shape the glass with your hand. You shape it, dry it, and then fire it back to a solid material. It's
1: really fun. And you're manufacturing this?
2: I did for a while and um, decided I'd rather use it than market it, (laughs) honestly. I don't want to be a manufacturer of glass, I want
1: to use the material. So, But you developed a formula for making it work? Yes,
2: yes, and I've got it, and it's all packaged up. But I'm waiting for a, um, somebody else to come in and market that for me.
1: A venture capitalist. There's, that's the word <laughs> I was
2: looking for. <laughs> and it, hasn't, it hasn't been received in the glass world all that strongly. It's like taking metal clay to the Paul Revere School of, you know, <laughs> right. metals. They're going, oh, that's <laughs> cheating. Oh, you can't do that. You know, metal clay's been around for over 20 years, and now they're they're accepting it, and they're embracing it, and I don't know if I have that much time. (laughs) But I'm loving using it, and people are, you know, mystified at the results, and I can show you the feathers I've made from it. They're on the wall.
1: I've had a couple of students that have come through my studio that have gotten very excited about this material, and I have not used it, no, next to nothing about it, except what they've been telling me. And I'm excited in that it is obviously opening up a whole world of very legitimate creative exploration at a cost both in materials and physical cost that they could not have done if they had been restricted to the centrifugal casting and things like that.
2: Very true. It's
1: it's a much more hands-on process, I think.
0: Whenever you come across a new technique or a new product it's like breaking down doors trying to get it accepted because you have the old stalwart well that's not how it's done and it's like well it's not how it used to be done but it's uh, this is a new direction that we're taking things and I think that's been throughout history that you've had this trouble of introducing different new techniques and having them accepted by the art world.
2: There is a learning curve, like everything else. People just want to get it immediately and and run with it, but you know, nothing's that easy. You have to spend
1: some time with it. <laughs> can say, when did that ever happen? <laughs> These are all activities that are getting to the point where they're requiring less and less cost, less and less physical space that needs to be set up, and therefore more and more people are having access to some real fun explorations, and that is exciting.
2: Exactly. I'm thinking three D printers now. Mm -hmm. How much I hate the thought of that. That's cheating, but you know, it's a tool that Mm -hmm. gets you there quicker. But yeah. I think some of the technique of metal is is very labor intense and if there's a way to shorten that and with the same results, why not? I'm finding that with the glass clay I I can do things that I couldn't do
1: any other way. (laughs) Would you think that it's also that what you've learned from all the other things that you've done in terms of design and form and everything has affected how you use the clay?
2: Absolutely. I first started off recreating the, the techniques, say cane making. You know, it's very difficult to do that with a torch and the heat, and it takes hours. Well, I can do it in 10 minutes, like Play-Doh, <laughs> you know, so... Yes, I did work with the traditional techniques and see how I could adapt them. And then are
1: moving beyond that now. So, Is it easier for us to go see the feathers, or can you bring one here? I can bring one here. All right. This one is a good 14, probably inches long at least, so. if
2: not more. This was very simply made by rolling out my glass clay, taking a sharp object, cutting the basic shape out, rolling out a snake for the, what was that called, a quill? What is that part called? Center of the feather. (laughs) Yeah, that part. (laughs) Yeah. And then this has some dichroic extract on it. What's that? So let me explain dichroic to you. Um, Glass is put in a vacuum chamber with a crucible of certain metals. I'm not privileged to. The metals are struck with electron beams which vaporize that metal. The vapors rise and grow on the glass as metal crystal. And depending on the number of layers, it's done in layers. They shoot it and shoot it and shoot it you know, up to 20 times or more. You get a different range of color. So that's how dichroic glass is made. Dichroic extract is done on copper, and then they worry it off the copper, and it becomes a powder, which can be brushed on
1: any shape, which allows me to put dichroic on the glass clay. Aha. Okay, so that becomes a much more uh, predictable process? Yes, yes, very much. Is that the right word? <laughs> that's a good word. <laughs> forms themselves, you are just creating from your imagery of feathers.
2: Yeah, I am copying Mother Nature. <laughs> well, no, that's past, not the problem, but, but I'm uh, just
1: saying that mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to make a mold or anything else, you're just These are working. not molded. These are free. Right. I have used molds. Well, and molds of really thin forms are not always the easiest things mm-hmm. to get the material out without it. <laughs> Oh, I have a trick,
2: <laughs> I use silicone molds, I put it in the freezer. Mm-hmm. Once the glass is frozen, pops out like an ice cube perfectly. <laughs> works great.
1: Okay, remember that one, Stephen. I'll tell you, it works <laughs> beautiful.
2: Um, um, also, the, the glass clay can be used in a slurry form. Okay. And you can apply that to a sheet of glass and create your own colors.
1: You can do layers of colors and then come back and carve through them. So that's akin to fusing in the sense that you've got a sheet of glass and then another sheet or another layer is fused or melted yes. together with it.
2: After 40 years, I am less than inspired by the traditional palette that I have to work with, so this gives me the opportunity to make my own collars, and it's
1: very fun. The feathers are designed to be a wall mount? Or? These were
2: just my first two experiments, but I do want to go bigger, uh, For the wall. I'd like to do a three-foot feather.
1: Oh, okay. yeah,
2: Just a small one.
1: Just a small one.
2: Um, I've got an example of the eucalyptus leaf I made with the glass slurry on it. Would Ah. you like to see that? Sure. Sure. Okay. Okay, (laughs) This, again, is my first piece. So mm -hmm. Um, I learned a lot on this piece. I did an even layer of the slurry. This is an example of layering the slurry. So the orange went down first, the brown, and then the green. And then I
1: carved through it. Mm -hmm. So this is a tile shape, for lack of a better on-air description. Sometimes
2: I like to sample the technique before I have a real purpose for it. Mm -hmm. So I was just seeing what happened when I went through the layers and did all that. So this was a surprise. When I did my even coat of slurry and opened the kiln, I had this fabulous crazing effect on here. Because that was shrinking
1: faster than the base glass. I like it. <laughs> there's a green base and there's an orange slurry. That was, and then some red. So you were assuming that the slurry, which is the orange, would have been a uniform Correct. coat. Correct. There's actually and it's two, two very layers. far from uniform. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like a. It would have taken hours to have made this I mosaic. I have done that on purpose. <laughs> I, I loved it. Yeah. Have you tried it again to see if it works? It works. Now I don't
2: know if I can do that. <laughs>
1: I know the difference. See, that has a layer of clear on it, and mm-hmm. that set it. So in a sense, these were allowed to sort of shrink and melt and do whatever on yes. their own yes. terms, yes. and the clear on top said, no, you've got to stay this way.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So basically these were cooling at different rates. Which
2: yes. Which is causing the, them to the shrink up. The slurry has yeah. more air in it, yeah. so it's going to contract a lot more than the, right. the glass. But fortunately it cooled at the same rate. Mm-hmm. It just contracted differently. Right. Otherwise I'd have been in trouble.
0: You have been listening to the Ears on Art segment of Issues and Ideas produced at the studios of listener supported KCBX Public Radio. Today's guest was glass artist Paula Radke, who recently moved into a new location on the Embarcadero in Morro Bay. I am Stephen DeLuque, and next week, co host Chrissa Hewitt and I continue our conversation with Paula Radke. Thank you so very much for listening.